The thing about a funnel is that everything that goes in the top eventually comes out at the bottom. Do you want that? Do you want anyone who's ever heard of your business to eventually be a customer of yours? Or would you rather be a bit more selective? I would imagine that if you're a bit more selective, you're going to have more of those energetic clients rather than those that weigh you down. Hello and welcome to The Melting Pot. I'm your host, Dominic Monkhouse. The Melting Pot is a result of my hunger and curiosity for optimizing business performance, exploring corporate culture, customer addiction, and building high-performing teams. It's full of advice from my guests, entrepreneurs, fellow business authors, and examples from some of my work over the last few years, coaching the CEOs and leadership teams of some amazingly successful tech firms. The Melting Pot is my attempt to synthesize what I've learned along the way, to help you build a highly scalable business and realize the potential of your life's work. If you enjoy the episode, head over to monkhouseandcompany.com forward slash podcast to find today's show notes and more editions of The Melting Pot. While you're there, if you subscribe to the newsletter, you can pick up a copy of my new book, Plan B, How to Scale Your Technology Business Faster and Achieve Plan A. Enjoy. Hello, today I'm talking with and learning from Bryony Thomas. Bryony funded herself through university by getting a job for ActionAid. She was on the phone ringing people up, asking them to donate. In fact, she was so good at it, she ended up doing this full-time alongside her studies. And when she was 24, having finished her degree, she ended up working for a company called Mason Zimbler, who are, were, uh, fantastic lead gen marketing agency and she ran campaigns for IBM and Dell across Europe and then at 28 the company that she was CMO for was acquired by Experian so she found herself as a divisional director for Experian and then in 2008 she left and set up her own business and what she's done is she's taken all the things that she learned from doing her own biz dev uh, you know or getting on the phone and doing sales so it's sort of joined up sales and marketing and her concept is called watertight. The idea being there's no point in putting something in a bucket unless we stop it coming out of the bottom because otherwise we're just wasting money. And in fact, if nothing else, start by plugging the holes in the bucket before you turn the tap on at the top and that will get you a return on your investment much quicker. So Bryony walks us through some elements of her program today. Fantastic book, fantastic training programs available. And in fact, she's even got accredited experts in the field as well. So if you like any of the stuff, you can either buy the book and do it yourself or you can find help to implement her process from her team or from external third parties. And we recorded this as a webinar. So as we're talking, if Bryony's referring to any of the material she's presenting, you might find it easier to watch on YouTube than listen here on the podcast. But as ever, a fantastic conversation with Bryony. I really enjoyed the hour it flew by. I'm sure you'll love it as well. I started out in marketing because I was a self-funding student and needed to earn some money. So I was doing telephone fundraising for ActionAid, doing child sponsorship over the phones. And then we had the cunning idea because we had a bit of spare capacity to start renting it out to other charities. And there was born a telemarketing agency. So we did um, all through my first degree. I was doing fundraising campaigns for Help the Aged and Mind and Imperial Cancer. And so I left university having worked for three years at at a telemarketing agency, essentially. Running it or hitting the phones? Um, or? I did, I did uh, three months on the phone 
And then at 19, I landed the job as a as a supervisor. So I was um, uh, we had a call center of rotating staff of about 200. Um, and I was writing scripts, training people, and then going off to do my politics degree, my, my full time degree. And then I left uni and did a bit of time in recruitment. And a job came in for Mason Zimbler advertising. And I called them up and said, I'm really sorry. I know I've handled all your jobs up to now, but I can't handle this one because I'm going to be applying. <laughs> so I got the job there as the marketing exec, doing marketing of marketing to marketers. Reasonable amount of marketing. I left there as account director on Microsoft. And then went through a number of client-side roles. And the business I was in asked me to make them look expensive. I did a, an MBA dissertation based on their business and then ended up as their marketing director. We were acquired by Experian for 85 million in 2006. Make them look expensive, I'll tick. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then, uh, then you know, the, the bigger the business gets, the smaller the job gets. You know, the, the more it contracts to really small parts of the marketing mix. So I left and that's its own story. Set up on my own 2008, good year to start a business. And loved working with small businesses where the role of marketing can be truly strategic. Yeah. I would talk at the opening of an envelope, just speak at any event going. And I kept using all the same metaphor, drawing all the same pictures. And we were turning business down at three to one. One that we could take on. There were there were three that we didn't have capacity for who wanted to work with us. And so I thought if I wrote it down, I'd at least be able to give them a book. And that's how the book was born. Fab. Maybe thank you for that intro. Thank you for coming on. It feels as though in 2021, people should have nailed marketing, right? Because uh-huh. as you say, like in 10 years since you wrote the book, it's broadly the same. And yet, you know, we meet clients all the time who are, because the mar- their market they're in is changing or because they're growing fast or, you know, they're, they're trying to apply marketing to other things like recruitment that, you know, still people have day-to-day challenges. So hopefully we can help solve some of those problems for people. Definitely. So over to you then. What I've put together is a really quick run through a few key concepts. Dom and I had a chat about what to bring to the table. I said I could do a session anywhere from 10 minutes to 12 months. Anywhere in between, that's also fine. So I've pulled out a few key concepts I'm going to run through that should at least whet the appetite and get questions going. Let's kick off by asking you quite possibly the most important question you've ever been asked about marketing, which is how would you steal your neighbor's cat? I really do want you to think about this. So if you live in a in a city, consider it a few lives a few doors up. If you live in the countryside, it's across a couple of fields, maybe some hedges, so quite a difficult cat to steal. How would you, if the aim of the game was to steal your neighbor's cat, what techniques of cat thievery would you employ to make sure that this cat decided to regularly curl up on your sofa rather than the one where it's been fed and loved for the past several years? And I will come back to that question as we go through the content that I put through today. So everything that I go through today is covered in the second edition of Watertight Marketing. And if you want to help yourself to a a free copy, you can. You just go to watertightmarketing.com forward slash free book and help yourself. That hopefully means that you can listen rather than write everything down because I have actually written it all down already. So let's 
walk through the first key lens in the watertight marketing framework. This is in chapter two, and then I come back to it in chapter 11. These are the four flow foundations. And what do I mean by flow in business? Well, of course, I mean sales flow. So making sure that you have a steady pipeline. Do we use that word? Pipeline of new business um, a steady flow of fantastic employees who want to join your business, and also that everybody who's in your business is in flow and enjoying what they do with you. And so the flow foundations are a core concept. And these, for me, are the four pillars on which successful marketing are built. So we have the first flow foundation. The first flow foundation is the right work. And if we were thinking about a healthy, growing business, metaphorically speaking, I would say that this is like your nutritious diet. Now, we can all grab a bag of chips if we want to, but sometimes, in fact, kind of 80% of the time, you want to be nourishing your body with really nutritious and energy rich food that builds your body and builds your strength and energy. And you want clients that do the same. You need clients that come into your business that sustain you economically, energetically, and I might also say ecologically, but I'm not going to cover that one today. So we've got the right work, which is synonymous with that healthy, nutritious diet. So let's say we've got our diet right, or at least 80% of our diet right. The balanced routine is the second flow foundation. This is like having a personal trainer in your fitness plan. And a personal trainer is going to put together a different plan for me as for you. Are you going from couch to 5K with your business? Is it that little startup just getting going with it? Or are you going from, you know, regional athletes to country championships, going for a, you know, a national business of note? Or are you going for world Olympic gold? Are you looking to be that unicorn business? Now, depending on what you want to achieve, your marketing routine, your kind of fitness plan will be different. The other thing that you need and a, a personal trainer would put together for you is a balance of activities. It would have a mix, wouldn't it, of weights, cardiovascular, kind of resistance work, a balanced routine is based on your goals, your current fitness, and all over strength and kind of resistance and um, kind of being able to sustain that. So let's say you've got the right diet, you've got a brilliant balanced routine. The next one is doing enough of it to make a difference. Any of you who've been to the gym in January and then perhaps it's waned off through the year will know that that won't sustain you for the full year. And so let's imagine you've got your great diet, someone's put together a marketing plan, a balanced routine for your business. You then need to get into a rhythm of getting that done, making a commitment to regular exercise. And then you have maintaining momentum. And this is your reason for doing it. This is your purpose. This is your vision. Um, in a fitness analogy, that might be wanting to play with your kids on a beach in your 80s, or it might be wanting to squeeze into a bikini for the holiday. Whatever it is, the equivalent of the vision for your business, that's what's going to get you up on the days when it's hard. That's going to re-energize your business when you're knocked because business is tough. And so these four flow foundations are the foundations of truly successful marketing. 
There are toolkits within, within each of these within the watertight marketing um, materials. Today, I'm going to dive into the balanced routine. What does a balanced routine look like? Well, a balanced routine, there are a number of tools in our toolkit. We've got thinking about the type of decision it is, which I'm going to touch on slightly today. Sometimes things are a crisis purchase, an accelerated purchase, which you can read about in the book. Then I talk about inviting next, next steps, making sure that you've got cause and effect mapped out. We talk about um, making sure that one, not just correlated with, but causing the next step that you put out. And we're going to come to this with our um, cat analogy. We have making sure you have a tool or technique for every step in the decision. And we have the touch point leaks. These are the core frameworks you will find in the book. Let's dive into this first one here, which I call the considered purchase continuum because I'm not a copywriter and I couldn't come up with a snazzy name. So the considered purchase continuum is where I kind of start to think about debunking consumer marketing and business to business. That doesn't work as a distinction for me. Impulse purchase and considered purchase works as a distinction for me. On the left-hand side here, as a consumer, there are impulse purchases that I make. I go to Caramillan and I leave with a dress. Usually I pay, but I do buy it on impulse. It's a see it, buy it moment. Equally, when I'm restocking the toothpaste, I walk into the shop, I buy my normal brand, and it's bought without a second thought. As a consumer, I recently appointed an architect. That was not an impulse purchase. I had to think it through. I had to look up case studies. I had to understand what it was like to work with them. As a business owner, I also have impulse purchases. Am I the only one with a stationary habit? So see it, buy it, you know, restocking your stationery or buying those little things that you think, oh, I want one of those too for my business can be a very quick decision. Whereas implementing a multi-million pound piece of software might be a considered decision. So where somebody puts what they would buy from you on this line will determine the type of purchase it is and the type of marketing you need to do. There are a number of things that come together to determine where on this line someone will put it. There's how much it costs, how many people are affected, the time it's going to take them, how complex it is, and its emotional impact. And so depending on where someone would rank what you're selling or what you're asking them to decide upon will determine how many steps there are in the process, how many moments of pause. So what were those ideas about stealing your neighbor's cat? Let's have a look. We've got tuna, okay, so leaving a trail of small pieces like a Hansel and Gretel trail, absolutely. Little bits of treats, fantastic. We've got Understanding the cat, so knowing its characteristics and then deciding what to attract. You're right, because the cat might not like tuna, right? This might be a cat that likes catnip or something else. So also understanding where it hangs out, profiling it, seeing whether it hangs out of the tree at the bottom of the garden. Absolutely right. So we've got a few ideas of where you line up your, your little trail of treats. Now let's imagine you put your trail of treats out and the cat comes along, eats up all those treats, and then runs off home. And then the next day you don't put out any treats. Have you won the cat? If you put it out on one day, what do you reckon, Dom? I, I don't think you've won the cat. I think you've just uh, made it a fat cat. 
Yeah, exactly. And the same is true of your marketing. So, you know, people are getting the idea, which is you understand the cat, you put out its treats, and then it comes forward gently, doesn't it? But if you only do that on one day, it's not regularly going to choose your sofa. And this is where you get to that baseline rhythm, having to do it every day. Now, the, the way that I like to think about this is a bit like, so marketing needs to understand the cat, understand where it hangs out now, and then maybe leave a little trail of treats and toys along the way. And then the job of sales is to be one step ahead going, come on then, come on. Because you don't go straight in for a tummy tickle with a cat, so you're a cat you don't know, because you're going to get scratched. The best way to do it is to encourage it forward and build its trust. So I have had people, maybe salespeople on a, on a target, they go, Brian, I know what to do, I know what to do. I'm going to grab the cat, I'm going to grab it by the collar, I'm going to drag it through the hedge, I'm going to lock it in. I've won the cat, right? Well, maybe, maybe for a night, but the moment you open the back door, it's going to be out of there and it's probably ruined your carpet. Because something that has not actively chosen to be there is not yours. You don't own the cat. You win the cat's love and affection every day. And I want you to think about your customers as cats. I want you to know that they have choices and you win them every day. Now, let's go back to our considered purchase continuum. Left-hand side here, we have a stray, very hungry cat. And quite frankly, this cat would go home with anyone. My cat, Dylan, when I lived in central Bristol, used to hang out on the pavement and rub himself up against strangers. And I can bet that a few of your clients are doing the same. They're checking out the competition. They're seeing if they've got some treats. And if you let that cat go hungry, it's going to be out of there. Up at the other end, you have a fat, contented, well-fed cat that's very well loved where it is. And this is the sort of cat that you need to win from a competitor. Now, the fat, contented cat is a harder cat to win, but it's the one that you want. And so what you need to do is think about how you're going to tempt it away from where it's very comfortable now, remembering that lots of people are trying to steal this cat. And so you lay out this trail of treats and toys, making sure that you've got something that appeals, training your salespeople on not trying to cattle prod it, but to encourage it forward and win its trust. And so you need to work out your cats. Are they stray cats that, quite frankly, would go home with anyone? Or are contented cats that need a bit more coaxing through the journey? Now, this is a key concept because the further it is to the right, the more steps there are in the journey. And so I'm going to pull out another of our frameworks now. I'm going to pull out the 13 touchpoint leaks. Now, let's imagine that we've got this trail of treats, each of which is a fantastic marketing tool or technique. Often when I put this up, people will say to me, a stepped journey is a sales funnel. And, you know, there is a picture of a funnel in the Watertight Marketing book. I've overlaid it with the Kotler model of rational decision making. I think it's a great model of decision making. I'm not so sure it's rational, which goes from awareness to interest, evaluation, trial, adoption, loyalty. There's a stages in the process and we overlay it on a funnel. The thing about a funnel is that everything that goes in the top eventually comes out at the bottom. Do you want that? Do you want anyone who's ever heard of your business to eventually be a customer of yours? Or would you rather be a bit more selective? I would imagine that if you're a bit more selective, you're going to have more of those energetic clients rather than those that weigh you down. More than that, 
Is it a funnel? See, I think a funnel is a great diagram, ever reducing people, an awful metaphor. Because actually, when we look at all of these diagrams, of which, by the way, there are over 33.6 million of them, so you, you know, forgiven for, for picking out the sales funnel, pipeline, or hopper as a metaphor. That's not what you've got. Everything that goes in the top comes out of the bottom. That's a funnel. Here's the reality. In 2011, I did my first piece of research where I looked at all of the ways that people step out of their buying decision. And that became the 13 touchpoint leaks. I've now extended that research to over 2,000 organizations. And there truly are 13 areas where without good marketing tools and techniques, people generally step out of the process. And so this is not a funnel. People are leaking all the way down here. It's a colander or a sieve. If you had to choose a kitchen utensil to represent most people's sales and marketing setups, it would be a sieve. Now, do you want a sieve? You don't want a funnel because you don't want everything. You want to be selective. Do you want a sieve? Mm, not sure about that either, because again, you want to be selective. You don't want the good stuff leaking out. What I would encourage you to do is really get to know the 13 touchpoint leaks, which you'll find in chapter two, and then the fixes to those leaks in part three of the Watertight Marketing book. What you're going to see here is that my numbers start at the bottom and work up. And that's because I want you to have a think about painting yourself out of the room. What you want is that full path to purchase without gaps. Absolutely, because if you leave a gap, there goes your customers, there goes your new employees, there goes those people who were on their way towards you, but the great big gap meant they couldn't take that leap. But more than that, you need to think about the direction in which you create your path to purchase. I think you need to do it from the bottom up. Now, if you were doing this from the top down, so from leads down, from awareness down, let's imagine that you had a few treats, maybe you had a tight budget, and you've looked at the tree at the bottom of the garden, and you've put a trail from the tree halfway to your house. You're not going to win the cat, are you? It's going to eat those biscuits, and it's going to poodle off home. Whereas, if you had a constrained budget and you put half of the journey from your door to halfway to the cat, well, they might just sniff it out. You've got far more chance winning the cat if you build your path backwards. Customer journeys need to be mapped forwards, but built backwards. Yes, you walk through their steps. Yes, you look through their eyes, but you build the path backwards which also means deleting the image of the funnel, or indeed the sieve, and replacing it with a better picture. The picture that we use is of a bucket at the bottom, several funnels and filters in a bit of a hodgepodge mess because people don't walk in straight lines, neither do cats, and then taps. So it's in these three areas, bucket, funnels and filters, and then taps, which means that you build it from the bottom up. It stands to reason that you, if you've got a hole in your bucket, you don't run expensive taps. And so we start with this bucket, which is about keeping the customers you've already got, keeping that cat curled up on your sofa, loving and loyal. 
once you've got your watertight bucket, you don't go straight for taps because you'd be running around frantically, putting your bucket under here and putting your bucket under there. What you want to do is create channels, funnels and filters that mean you get the good stuff and filter out the stuff that's not right for your business. And then you go to what most people call marketing and what we call taps. Leads, ladies and gentlemen, are the last thing on a marketer's list. So we go bucket, we go funnels and filters, and then we go taps. This, in most people's businesses, is correlated with the account management or the customer services team. This funnels and filters in most organizations is correlated or mapped to the sales function. And in most organizations, marketing is actually defined as taps, lead generation, awareness building. If this is your definition of marketing, you are absolutely have to be wasting money somewhere. Guarantee it. I would prefer you to map it like this, almost as a heat diagram, where people kind of take the reins at that part of the path to purchase, but everybody has a role. So rather than a re relay race where you're handing one to the next, this is more of a sedan chair where you've all got a corner taking your customer through that customer journey. And the 30 touchpoint leaks overlay onto this as 13 projects that somebody with marketing skill can put in place to make sure that you have that full path to purchase, starting at the bucket. Leads, ladies and gentlemen, come last on a marketer's list of things to do. So, folks, this is your to-do list. This is your sequence. But it gets a bit more nuanced than that. What you can do by taking yourself through the questions in the chapter two of Watertight Marketing is to create yourself a touchpoint leak traffic light report. What we do here is mark them red, amber, green. Red is, I have nothing that does this. Amber is, yeah, kind of got something all right. Green is hand me my award. And you go for the lowest item that is marked red. That's where you focus first. And then you go to the next red item and the next red item, just pushing them up to amber. When you've got everything on amber, you have flow, you make money. It then gets reinvested to put your ambers up to green. And then you can sell your business, create a new proposition. You go from red, then to amber, then to green from the bottom up. We have three core areas where marketers can make sure that you keep people loving and loyal and increase your long-term customer lifetime value. We've got leak number one, forgotten customers, making sure that you've got customer communications that means that they remember why they bought from you, they love what they've bought from you, they recommend what they've bought from you. We've got leak number two, poor onboarding, where you can put in place marketing that warmly welcomes people so that they use everything they've bought. They talk loudly about it and they get the result they were looking for so that then they become great case studies, great referrers. Leak number three, no emotional connection, for me is where brand comes in. This is where people often have a little bit of a wobble. It's either just before or just after they've spent quite a lot of money and they go, ooh, that was a lot of money. And if it doesn't feel right, then often they're slightly on the back front, back foot waiting for it to go wrong. And so leak number three is making sure you've got the emotional connection that means that it feels like somewhere they need to be.
So in terms of making sure that you have a watertight bucket, and really to prove to you that you need to start at the bottom and that leads come last on the marketer's to-do list, I want to walk you through these three areas and ask you how well you think you're doing. Let's do the first three of your traffic light report and see how well you score. What you would do with your traffic light report is create a do it now, a delay it, and a ditch it question mark list. Do it now is get something in place that's pretty damn good. Delay it is, that's fine, keep doing what you're doing, come back to it once you've done your reds. And green is, could you repurpose some of that energy over into your red zone for a bit and then come back to it later? The other thing that people often do with their greens is just because they love it, they're playing in their long grass. They're over there having a whale of a time, munching away on their, on their comfort zone, and they don't come to the gaps. And what I would say to you is that you should focus in on where those gaps are and at least get them up to amber. Stop playing in your green zone and talk to your gaps. So is there a hole in your business bucket? I'm going to take a commercial context here. You can apply this to fundraising journeys. You can apply this to service user journeys, and you can apply it to employee journeys. But today, I'm going to apply it to a commercial sales journey. So here we are in the bucket. We want to keep those lovely customers loyal and loving what they've bought. Forgotten customers, leak number one. The definition is when you do not stay appropriately in touch with customers, they are likely to forget about you. When it comes to buying again or recommending you to others, your name may not come to mind. Now, there are three themes here, and this is the way that Watertight is organized. You jump into the leak, you go into the themes. We've got tried and tested fixes under each of the themes in part three of the book. We've got customer service. Are you there when they've got an issue? Are you proactively anticipating when customer service needs might arise? Or do you have go-to materials for each question that you know might get asked, but you're not quite sure when? Then we've got the social elements. You facilitate social interaction, allowing them to connect with one another or with you. Or do you create circumstances where what they bought from you enters into their social life and connects with them in that way? And thirdly, do you make them feel special? Do you remember them first? Do you make sure that they get your special offers before anybody else? Do you remember when it's their year anniversary with something more than a renewal invoice? Have a think about how your customers are stayed in touch with and ask yourself the question, do you have communications that mean that existing and lapsed customers remember, repurchase and refer you? Think about it. Red, amber, green. How would you mark yourself on some of the things I've just talked about? Let's move on up to onboarding. We talk about the welcome window, that, that magic moment between buying something and uh, you kind of set aside time, don't you, to play with your new thing. There's this critical time period between when a person has bought something and when they consider themselves a loyal customer. It's the welcome window and it's your opportunity to make a lasting impression. Lots of businesses welcome their clients with an invoice or a contract, which makes you feel really welcome, doesn't it? Have a think about mapping against your service activities at least a warm thank you, where you say thank you for choosing us, you've made a great decision. 
some helpful materials that get them going with what they've just bought. And then a moment where you notice and celebrate with them when they have achieved the outcome that they were looking for. We do this with an impact assessment. So this touchpoint leak assessment is a great way of us doing this. Once people have got everything to amber, we go, yay, well done, you've got some flow. How could you mark and celebrate when they have reached what they were looking for? So do you have a structured set of communication that kicks in to warmly welcome new customers, taking them through thank you, helpful and celebration? Red, amber, green, what do you reckon? Nothing? Something all right? Hand you your award? Leak number three, I've said, is about emotional connection. And so this is that point where they're about to spend a lot of money or time. When there's limited personality or limited human touch in the visuals and the written style or inconsistencies across the organization, you know, when they move from marketing or sales into service and there's a change of tone or a change of style, this is when the trust is really undermined and it leads a potential customer to question whether or not to buy from you or whether or not to use what they bought because they think, hmm, not quite sure this is what I was looking for. It feels a bit different. There are three ways that we get people to make sure this is right. There's the beauty and the basics of your visual and written content. Your basics is things like, you know, your hex references, your color codes, the, the way you crop your imagery, whether you have leading capitalization, whether you spell things in English or American, just get those things right. The beauty is things like metaphor, style, the way, the, the design that you use, the photography that you use. Those things absolutely need to be clear, compelling, and invite them into your world. And then we have people, and there are two types of people that need to be featured in your marketing. There's you. And so you look at things like your LinkedIn photo. Don't, don't make it so great that when you turn up, you're a disappointment. Make sure that the photography that you use and the people that you represent in your business are real and true and consistent with the experience they have when they actually meet you or talk to you. And then you've got to have pictures of your customers. We once had a client that does um, overseas trips for recently retired affluent people. And we had a look at their pictures and there were 18 year old backpackers. Can you picture yourself in this picture? We looked at some of their competitors and there was an elegant woman in her 60s sipping champagne overlooking the Danube. Can you picture yourself in this picture? You need to make sure that your customers can project themselves into your imagery and feel like the people that they'll hang out with by doing business with you are the kind of people they want in their life. So ask yourself the question from red, amber or green, do you have consistent and compelling branding? So I've only asked you three questions from the 13 touchpoint leaks. And if you thought there was anything there that could be stepped up, then I would say to you folks, maybe move the energy from lead generation through to your bucket, keeping people who love what they bought from you so that your customer lifetime value is increased. If you have a hole in your bucket, there really is no point in turning the taps on. I've taken you through two key frameworks in the Watertight Marketing Toolkit. There are about 600 of them organized under 12 organizing branches. So depending on what question you're asking yourself, there's a framework to help you make a better marketing decision.
They're all organized underneath the four flow foundations. And I've been looking in the balanced routine box today. If you want to know if that's where you need to focus, you need to go and get your flow foundation score. You'll see I've put percentages here. And this is a diagnostic technique that we take people through to decide where to focus. And if you imagine these four foundations as the four legs of a table, what you're looking for is a stable table. A stable table allows you to grow. If you've got wobbly legs, it's a bit like trying to do exercise on a wobble board just to make it harder for yourself. You're looking for something that is even. And if your legs are low, your growth will be slow. If your legs are high, then your growth will be high. You can go and find out your score by heading over to watertightmarketing.com forward slash test. And there's a link there where you can book in to um, have a review session of your questions. And I would be absolutely delighted to have a look at whether you've got wobbly table legs to make sure that your marketing works. Do you see that clients feel differently? And do you think you think differently about where they whether it's a product or a service? You know, say if, if, I, if I'm selling a product and people buy it from me once versus it's a service and it's recurring revenue. I would take you back to the considered purchase continuum. So it depends on whether it's a product that you weigh up or it's a product that you buy on impulse. You might say that your car is a product. Lots of people will spend months researching a car. They have a relationship with that car. And because of the moments of pause, the points at which they could go another way, how much time it takes up in their head, the more watertight applies. So I don't think it is product service. I don't think it's B2B or B2C. I think it's impulse to considered. Okay. This, this, when you say car, there's two things in my mind that spring immediately to mind. One is, have you bought a new car recently? Uh, my husband bought a new car a couple of years ago, and I didn't pay much attention. But did he tell people he'd bought a new car before he got it or after he got it? He spent lots of time looking at other people's cars and talking about and, and asking them about it and, and what they'd liked and what they hadn't liked and, you know, and then zeroed in on one particular friend whose car he quite liked, took that for a drive. You know, it's quite a, it's, it's how much time it occupies in your mind, you know? Because what I find interesting is, is my experience is people tell me they've bought their new car before they've got it yet. Right. right? Yeah. And so, that, so, there's, so that's the emotional connection that you're talking about. Because yeah. often I, I find people don't ask for a referral until they've delivered something. And it's like, actually, when you oh, think yeah, about yeah, it yeah. yourself, you know, people, are, people have made an emotional connection to purchase. You can ask them for a referral before they've even experienced it. Yes. Um, and that's post-purchase validation. That's post-decision validation. So yeah. uh, and post-purchase reassurance. So if you if you look at the logic sandwich in chapter three, um, people will make an emotional decision, and then they will seek to validate it logically, and then they'll come. So they'll go, "Oh, I want it. Let me prove to myself that that's a sensible decision. Yay, I'm getting it." Very rarely do they go, "Hmm, let me weigh up all the options. That feels great. I'm going to buy it." That's just not how people buy. The other thing which I think is interesting is looking at the data around cars again. And if you've got good car, great service, poor car, you know, you've got this mix between great car and great service at the dealer. And, and people are more likely to purchase 
a car that they didn't like from a dealer who gave them great service than the other way around? That will depend on the buyer. So my husband will never buy a new car because he um, absolutely wouldn't pay for the depreciation. It would be anathema to him to do that. So he'd buy a secondhand car. So he's very much buying on the vehicle. And so the service means nothing to him. But the kind of cat you're talking about is the sort of cat that likes a nice cuddle. Whereas Tom is quite an independent cat. Where if the place that we had bought it from tried to sell him a service package, he would have been really missed. And so that comes back to your uh, what language I would use would be called customer. Right. And so independent cats versus cats that need a cuddle and deciding what type of customer that you're going after. Yes. So if you have more than one cat. So we let's imagine that this cat likes tuna and this cat hates it. Mm-hmm. You cannot steal all the neighbourhood cats with one trail of biscuits. You have to choose. Or you have to have different trails of biscuits. Now, what people tend to do, if this cat lives over here and this cat lives over here and this one likes tuna and this one hates it, what you often see people do is lowest common denominator marketing. They put something that's not quite tuna down the middle. And what that means is that neither cat gives a monkey's. Like they, neither of them is lowest common denominator marketing is absolute waste of everybody's time, money and energy. So I, if you've got multiple cats, the cat that likes to cuddle, the cat that likes to be left alone, whatever, um, your different audiences, you either create two paths to purchase or you choose. And Simon's question is they've got both business to business and business to custom business to consumer customers. So is it different? That would depend on the context, but it's not the B2B or the consumer that that determines the difference. So I I wouldn't sit there saying I've got my consumer marketing plan and I've got my B2B marketing plan. I would look at, so we call them decision journeys. So what, what group of people do you want to get to what decision? I don't care whether they're consumers or business to business. I literally don't care. We've got clients, so Audenza, one of our clients, go and look them up. They sell beautiful things for your home and garden. Gorgeous uh, consumer product. And we have someone like Oyster Information Management Service who sells to the Houses of Parliament. When you're going through the frameworks, the same questions need to be asked. So that if it's a considered purchase, it's a considered purchase. All the 13 touch point leaks apply. How you might then um, do that creatively might vary. But the thought process is the same. And it might be, I was just thinking there, it might be different weighting around either the creative content or marketing or sales might be different. Well, it might, but it might be that the consumers really need consultative selling. You know, maybe like in a car showroom, it might be that there are certain consumers that really need someone to do that consultative selling with them. And it might be in a business to business context that they're buying fleet cars from a checklist and it's hardly any salespeople at all. And so I wouldn't make the assumption that B2B means personal relationships and B2C doesn't, you know, that can flip. It's so, it's so not the point on which the, the net what you do pivots it is not what determines what you do just picking up on that because you said right we we map the decision tree how do you 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 just get your team together and just go how does a customer find us and go through that purchase decision yeah you would use the considered purchase continue so if you go to chapter two and head to the different elements of the considered purchase continuum which i did throw up earlier so we've got these different elements. 
Yes. And in here, we've got how they think about money, how they think about time, how they think about other people, how they think about functional complexity and how it impacts their status. If you go through and you draw five lines and you say financially for this, so let's take Karen Millen as an example. So when I was a student and I was a self-funding student with a single parent builder father, I was not buying Karen Millen dresses on a whim because relatively speaking, that was a lot of money. Whereas now I can buy that and I don't have to think about it. It doesn't it doesn't exercise me in any way because it's not yeah. about the amount of money. It's about the relative amount of money to decision. So you go through the, these five lines that are in um, chapter two and you think it through and say from their perspective, how expensive is this for them? How much of their time will this take? How hard do they find it? How many other people have an opinion? How much does it affect their status? And you go through and you put lines on these lines. Whichever is furthest to the right is your pace setter. So the furthest item to the right is the fastest they're going to go. And it's also your lead messaging item. So if their main point of friction is status, then that's your lead messaging. If their main point of friction is complexity, then you talk about simplifying. So you go through and it helps you to, first of all, determine the speed at which they're likely to make a decision. And you do not try to speed them up. Mm-hmm. You don't try and herd the cat. You don't grab it by its tummy. and yeah, You let it go at its own pace. So you, it is not the aim of the game to speed the decision up. It's the aim of the game to make sure the decision is well made. I, For me, marketing is about supporting somebody through to a buying decision with which they remain happy even if that's not to buy from you. Okay. Um, Another question that's come in is relative ratios, suggestion that say a company's got 10 salespeople, it might have three people in marketing. Is that to march bigger? (laughs) I would always then go, why are those 10 people in sales? Are they actually selling? But what's your... Oh, it would so depend on whether they were any good, who they were selling to, whether they were involved in the marketing and all of that. So I... When we go into a business, we do a flow foundations audit across the entire organization to get to a point of understanding what people understand by marketing. And we get people to map themselves onto the journey as to what are the tools, what are the skills in order to work together. Because in some in some organizations I've gone into, there are people who are called salespeople. And yes. what they're doing is posting stuff on LinkedIn, you know, writing proposals, which is a content job, really. Not really a, a necessarily a sales job, and then there are people who get called marketers who are on the phone doing telemarketing, which in my yeah. world is sales. So I don't know because it depends on how people define it. But it is one of the first questions we ask, Hayden. We'd, like we would go, um, we would go in, we'd do a flow foundations audit. We would work out across the business how people understand these things, so that then you can start to bring them together, understanding the same things by the same words and then bring them together, making sure that the tools and skills are aligned. And one of the other things that I see often when I'm talking to people who aren't growing as fast as they would like, they're under-investing in marketing and, and, and sales, but often marketing. They're, I don't know, they're, they're spending some money, but they're not spending enough. So what is, do you have any ROI or, you know? Yeah, I do. Um, Funny that. Funny that. 
In the last 25 years, I have seen that businesses that meet their sales goals spend upwards of 5% of target revenue on marketing. Now, my definition of marketing, remember, is not just lead generation. Um, so often when we go into a business and we get them to analyze their expenditure, they'll say to us, oh, we only spend 40 grand on marketing or something. You go, yeah, really? Um, and then you send, you send them off with a bunch of questions and they come back and you go, you know what? On all the things that you call marketing, we spent 120 grand last year. Um, but they didn't call it marketing. And so it wasn't very well spent and it wasn't very well considered and it wasn't very well measured and, and all of that. So it's, it starts for marketing kind of consistent, sustainable, predictable returns, not magpie marketing. 5% of target revenue is the minimum that I see marketing minded businesses that get their results spent. And just, just define, target, define target revenue for us. So if I were putting together a budget for the next financial year and my sale, my revenue goal was 100,000 in the future, 5% of that to be spent on delivering that. Fab. But it's up, I mean, it's from five to about 15. People will spend more money when it's a new, op- new proposition, when they're trying to buy market share, monetize later. When they, when a new competitor's moved into the patch, so there are instances where you might you'd go upwards of fifteen percent of target revenue. Where else do people get confused? Because here we are coming out of the pandemic, things are sort of getting back to normal. Is there something that changed that you think will remain changed, and something that you think changed and is going to come back? Sort of maybe two predictions for so next one, year. One thing that I would caution people on during a uh, the pandemic is brought this to, to into sharp focus is a crisis customer. So a crisis customer is someone who would normally go through a considered purchase decision, but bought something quickly. So an ex- and that can be done for lots of reasons. Crisis is, is one of them. So an accelerated purchase is where people skip steps in the thought process and they buy without thinking. So in a crisis, we've seen lots of people make crisis purchases. So they've either, um, you know, they've bought loads of stuff or they've let people go or they've taken a job or whatever that they, in normal times, they might not have done. A crisis customer is not a real customer. A crisis customer is a stray cat who was looking for a bed. Yeah. Um, and the, and the, the, other, the other analogy I use him, but it's really crass, but I'm going to, I'm going to make it. It's like, so... It's like you have a one night stand. So if you've had a one night stand and in the morning you act like you're married, it's really creepy. Um, And so if someone has bought from you in crisis, you just happen to be there. They're not in love with you. (laughs) So you have to take them back through the process, take them back to the beginning and sell to them all over again, even though they're already a customer. Yeah. Uh, hey, look, okay. I, I've, I've been with my husband for 22 years. So, you know, the one night stand can be recovered, man. <laughs> well, it's, I, I, it's, well, what's interesting is it, we, we do a bit of work with uh, Nick Marks at Friday Pulse. And one of the things that in his tool, which measures employee engagement, you can see is an unhappy employee leaves a quarter later. And, and he, was, he was able to, to show that actually people who took jobs during the pandemic 
were much less connected to because they hadn't actually there was no emotional bond there was no you know no, we, don't, we, don't, we don't go to the pub and hang out i'm not in love with you you just i happened to join this company and now i'm now i'm off again they were a stray yeah. cat yeah, yeah. An interesting thing about people who leave, by the way, is when you look at the right work. So we've got um, it's one of the new frameworks, actually. So in, in Chapter 11, new framework, purpose, profit matrix. And um, one of the key reasons that we've seen people bounce so employ when we when we apply this to people is if you have them doing the wrong work. So if you're continually giving people work that I don't know that they, they get a they get a call from the client, they look at their phone, they go, oh, do I have to? Um, rather than going, yay, that's great. Really looking forward to that. Then they're going to leave. And that happens when your PP matrix is out of kilter. So for us, the right work is work that sits at the intersection of purpose and profit, which is that it sustains you both energetically and economically. Yes. And what we often find is we go into businesses and they will either be able to tell us their economic goals. We're going to make this number of sales. We're going to hit this growth target. Or they tell us their purpose goals. We're going to make this impact in the world. This is our vision. They're either one or the other. It's like all story or all stats. And you yeah. need to, what you want is the cross section. And if you have people, if you're feeding them chips all the time, they ain't healthy. Yeah. Um, and so it might be easy to win, but it's not sustaining you long term. So you, we overlay on most on marketing segmentation this energetic lens where you say, great, might make you money, but do you really want to do it? <laughs> yes. Uh, Brian, that's a great place to finish. Thank you very much indeed for coming and sharing that with us today. You're so welcome. It really was a whistle-stop tour of uh, the Watertight materials. Um, if you really want to know which of the tools apply to your business, head to watertightmarketing.com forward slash test. It takes about 10 minutes. And if you're answering the questions and you don't know, mark yourself low. Don't know, mark low. Give it 10 minutes and you will get your, you'll see how wobbly your table legs are. And we'd love to chat through you. Brian, thank you very much indeed. Thank you for listening. I hope you enjoyed that as much as I did. If you'd be kind enough to leave a review, it will really help other like-minded entrepreneurs find this podcast and grow our community. For all information relating to this episode, you can go to monkhouseandcompany.com forward slash podcast, where you'll find some cracking show notes, additional reading and links relating to our guest. There you can also find my blog and past episodes of my subjectively not crap newsletter, where I'll update you on the best articles I read that week, some recommended books and other podcasts. Thanks, and I will see you next week.